Chapter 8, Part 2 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 3, Mary Stewart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dini Stain, Kelowna, Canada. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 3. Mary Stewart by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 8, Part 2. Upon this, the letters it was alleged she had written to Babington and his answers were read to her. Mary Stuart then affirmed that she had never seen Babington, that she had never had any conference with him, had never in her life received a single letter from him, and that she defied anyone in the world to maintain that she had ever done anything to the prejudice of the said Queen of England that besides, strictly guarded as she was, away from all news, withdrawn from and deprived of those nearest her, surrounded with enemies, deprived finally of all advice, she had been unable to participate in or to consent to the practices of which she was accused, that there are, besides, many persons who wrote to her, what she had no knowledge of, and that she had received a number of letters without knowing whence they came to her. Then Babington's confession was read to her, but she replied that she did not know what was meant, that besides, if Babington and his accomplices had said such things, they were base men, false and liars. Besides, added she, show me my handwriting and my signature, since you say that I wrote to Babington, and not copies counterfeited like those which you have filled at your leisure with the falsehoods it has pleased you to insert then she was shown the letter that babington it was said had written her she glanced at it and then said i have no knowledge of this letter upon this she was shown her reply and she said again i have no more knowledge of this answer if you will show me my own letter and my own signature containing what you say i will acquiesce in all but up to the present as i have already told you you have produced nothing worthy of credence unless it be the copies you have invented and added to with what seemed good to you with these words she rose and with her eyes full of tears if i have ever she said consented to such intrigues having for object my sister's death i pray god that he have neither pity nor mercy on me. I confess that I have written to several persons, that I have implored them to deliver me from my wretched prisons, where I languished a captive and ill-treated princess for nineteen years and seven months. But it never occurred to me, even in thought, to write or even to desire such things against the queen. Yes, I also confess to having exerted myself for the deliverance of some persecuted Catholics. And if I had been able, and could yet, with my own blood, protect them and save them from their pains, I would have done it, and I would do it for them with all my power, in order to save them from destruction. Then, turning to the secretary, Walsingham, But, my lord, said she, from the moment I see you here, I know whence comes this blow. You have always been my greatest enemy and my son's, and you have moved every one against me and to my prejudice. Then, thus accused to his face, Walsingham rose. Madame, he replied, 
I protest before God, who is my witness, that you deceive yourself, that I have never done anything against you unworthy of a good man, either as an individual or as a public personage. This is all that was said and done that day in the proceedings, till the next day, when the Queen was again obliged to appear before the commissioners, and, being seated at the end of the table of the said hall, and the said commissioners about her, she began to speak in a loud voice. You are not unaware, my lords and gentlemen, that I am a sovereign queen, anointed and consecrated in the church of God, and cannot, ought not, for any reason whatever, be summoned to your courts, or called to your bar, to be judged by the law and statutes that you lay down. For I am a princess and free, and I do not owe to any prince more than he owes to me, and on everything of which I am accused toward my said sister, I cannot reply if you do not permit me to be assisted by counsel, and if you go further, do what you will, but from all your procedure in reiterating my protestations, I appeal to God, who is the only just and true judge, and to the kings and princes, my allies and confederates. This protestation was once more registered, as she had required of the commissioners. Then she was told that she had further written several letters to the princes of Christendom, against the Queen and the Kingdom of England. As to that, replied Mary Stuart, it is another matter, and I do not deny it, and if it was again to do, I should do as I have done, to gain my liberty for there is not a man or a woman in the world of less rank than I who would not do it, and who would not make use of the help and succor of their friends to issue from a captivity as harsh as mine was. You charged me with certain letters from Babington. Well, I do not deny that he has written to me, and that I have replied to him, but if you find in my answers a single word about the Queen, my sister, well, yes, there will be good cause to prosecute me. I replied to him who wrote to me that he would set me at liberty, that I accepted his offer if he could do it without compromising the one or the other of us. That is all. As to my secretaries, added the queen, not they but torture spoke by their mouths. And as to the confession of Babington and his accomplices, there is not much to be made of them. For now that they are dead, you can say that all seemed good to you, and let who will believe you. With these words the queen refused to answer further if she were not given counsel, and renewing her protestation she withdrew into her apartment. But as the chancellor had threatened, the trial was continued despite her absence. However, Monsieur de Chateauneuf, the French ambassador to London, saw matters too near at hand to be deceived as to their course. Accordingly, at the first rumor which came to him of bringing Mary Stuart to trial, he wrote to King Henry III that he might intervene in the prisoner's favor. Henry III immediately dispatched to Queen Elizabeth an embassy extraordinary of which Monsieur de Bellievre was the chief, and at the same time, having learned that James VI, Mary's son, far from interesting himself in his mother's fate, had replied to the French minister Courcel, who spoke to him of her, I can do nothing, let her drink what she has spilled. He wrote him 
the following letter to decide the young prince to second him in the steps he was going to take Courcel, i have received your letter of the fourth october last in which i have seen the discourse that the king of scotland has held with you concerning what you have witnessed to him of the good affection i bear him discourse in which he has given proof of desiring to reciprocate it entirely but i wish that that letter had informed me also that he was better disposed towards the queen his mother and that he had the heart and the desire to arrange everything in a way to assist her in the affliction in which she now is reflecting that the prison where she has been unjustly detained for eighteen years and more has induced her to lend an ear to many things which have been proposed to her for gaining her liberty a thing which is naturally greatly desired by all men and more still by those who were born sovereigns and rulers who bear being kept prisoners thus with less patience he should also consider that if the queen of england my good sister allows herself to be persuaded by the counsels of those who wish that she should stain herself with queen mary's blood it will be a matter which will bring him to great dishonour inasmuch as one will judge that he will have refused his mother the good offices that he should render her with the said queen of england and which would have perhaps been sufficient to move her if he would have employed them as warmly and as soon as his natural duty commanded him moreover it is to be feared for him that his mother dead his own turn may come and that one may think of doing as much for him by some violent means to make the english succession easier to seize for those who are likely to have it after the said queen elizabeth and not only to defraud the said king of scotland of the claim he can put forward but to render doubtful even that which he has to his own crown i do not know in what condition the affairs of my said sister-in-law will be when you receive this letter but i will tell you that in every case i wish you to rouse strongly the said king of scotland with remonstrances and everything else which may bear on this subject to embrace the defence and protection of his said mother and to express to him on my part that as this will be a matter for which he will be greatly praised by all the other kings and sovereign princes he must be assured that if he fails in it there will be a great censure for him and perhaps notable injury to himself in particular furthermore as to the state of my own affairs you know that the queen madam and mother is about to see very soon the king of navarre and to confer with him on the matter of the pacification of the troubles of this kingdom to which if he bear as much good affection as i do for my part i hope that things may come to a good conclusion and that my subjects will have some respite from the great evils and calamities that the war occasions them supplicating the creator Courcel, that he may have you in his holy keeping written at saint germain en laye the twenty-first day of november fifteen eighty six signed henry and below brulard this letter finally decided james six to make a kind of demonstration in his mother's favour he sent gray robert melville and keith to queen elizabeth but although london was nearer edinburgh than was paris the french envoys reached it before the scotch it is true that on reaching calais 
the twenty seventh of november monsieur de bellievre had found a special messenger there to tell him not to lose an instant from monsieur de chateauneuf who to provide for every difficulty had chartered a vessel ready in the harbour but however great the speed these noble lords wished to make they were obliged to wait the wind's goodwill which did not allow them to put to sea till friday the twenty eighth at midnight next day also on reaching dover at nine o'clock they were so shaken by sea-sickness that they were forced to stay a whole day in the town to recover so that it was not till sunday thirtieth that m de bellievre was able to set out in the coach that m chateauneuf sent him by m de brancalion and take the road to london accompanied by the gentlemen of his suite who rode on post-horses but resting only a few hours on the way to make up for lost time they at last arrived in london sunday the first of december at midday m de bellievre immediately sent one of the gentlemen of his suite named m de villiers to the queen of england who was holding her court at richmond castle the decree had been secretly pronounced already six days and submitted to parliament which was to deliberate upon it with closed doors the french ambassadors could not have chosen a worse moment to approach elizabeth and to gain time she declined to receive m de villiers returning the answer that he would himself know next day the reason for this refusal and indeed next day the rumour spread in london that the french embassy had contagion and that two of the lords in it having died of the plague at calais the queen whatever wish she might have to be agreeable to henry three could not endanger her precious existence by receiving his envoys great was the astonishment of m de bellievre at learning this news he protested that the queen was led into error by a false report and insisted on being received nevertheless the delays lasted another six days but as the ambassadors threatened to depart without waiting longer and as upon the whole elizabeth disquieted by spain had no desire to embroil herself with france she had m de bellievre informed on the morning of the seventh of december that she was ready to receive him after dinner at richmond castle together with the noblemen of his suite at the appointed time the french ambassadors presented themselves at the castle gates and having been brought to the queen found her seated on her throne and surrounded by the greatest lords in her kingdom then messieurs de chateauneuf and de bellievre the one the ambassador in ordinary and the other one the envoy extraordinary having greeted her on the part of the king of france began to make her the remonstrances with which they were charged elizabeth replied not only in the same french tongue but also in the most beautiful speech in use at that time and carried away by passion pointed out to the envoys of her brother henry that the queen of scotland had always proceeded against her and that this was the third time that she had wished to attempt her life by an infinity of ways which she had already borne too long and with too much patience but that never had anything so profoundly cut her heart as her last conspiracy that event added she with sadness having caused her to sigh more and to shed more tears and the loss of all her relations so much the more that the queen of scotland was her near relative and closely connected with the king of france and as in their remonstrances m de chateauneuf and de bellievre 
had brought forward several examples drawn from history, she assumed, in reply to them on this occasion, the pedantic style which was usual with her, and told them that she had seen and read a great many books in her life, and a thousand more than others of her sex and her rank were wont to, but that she had never found in them a single example of a deed like that attempted on her, a deed pursued by a relative whom the king her brother could not and ought not to support in her wickedness, when it was, on the contrary, his duty to hasten the just punishment of it. Then she added, addressing herself specifically to Monsieur de Bellievre, and coming down again from the height of her pride to a gracious countenance, that she greatly regretted that he was not deputed for a better occasion, that in a few days she would reply to King Henry, her brother, concerning whose health she was solicitous, as well as that of the Queen Mother, who must experience such great fatigue from the trouble she took to restore peace to her son's kingdom, and then, not wishing to hear more, she withdrew into her room. The envoys returned to London, where they awaited the promised reply. But while they were expecting it unavailingly, they heard quietly the sentence of death given against Queen Mary, which decided them to return to Richmond to make fresh remonstrances to Queen Elizabeth. After two or three fruitless journeys, they were at last, December 15th, admitted for the second time to the royal presence. The Queen did not deny that the sentence had been pronounced and it was easy to see that she did not intend in this case to use her right of pardon. Monsieur de Bellievre, judging that there was nothing to be done, asked for a safe conduct to return to his king. Elizabeth promised it to him within two or three days. On the following day, Tuesday, the 17th of the same month of December, Parliament, as well as the chief lords of the realm, were convoked at the palace of Westminster, and there, in full court and before all, sentence of death was proclaimed and pronounced against Mary Stuart. Then the same sentence with great display and great solemnity was read in the squares and at the crossroads of London, whence it spread throughout the kingdom, and upon this proclamation the bells rang for twenty-four hours, while the strictest orders were given to each of the inhabitants to light bonfires in front of their houses as is the custom in France on the eve of St. John the Baptist. Then, amid the sound of bells, by the light of these bonfires, Monsieur de Bellievre, wishing to make a last effort in order to have nothing with which to reproach himself, wrote the following letter to Queen Elizabeth. Madame, we quitted your majesty yesterday, expecting, as it had pleased you to inform us, to receive in a few days your reply touching the prayer that we made you on behalf of our good master, your brother, for the Queen of Scotland, his sister-in-law and confederate. But as this morning we have been informed that the judgment given against the said Queen has been proclaimed in London, although we had promised ourselves another issue from your clemency and the friendship you bear to the said Lord King, your good brother, nevertheless, to neglect no part of our duty and believing in so doing to serve the intentions of the king our master, we have not wanted to fail to write to you this present letter, in which we supplicate you once again, very humbly, not to refuse his majesty the very pressing and very affectionate prayer that has been made you, 
that you will be pleased to preserve the life of the said lady queen of scotland which the said lord king will receive as the greatest pleasure your majesty could do him while on the contrary he could not imagine anything which would cause him more displeasure and which would wound him more than if he were used harshly with regard to the said lady queen being what she is to him and as madame the said king our master your good brother when for this object he dispatched us to your majesty had not conceived that it was possible in any case to determine so promptly upon such an execution we implore you madame very humbly before permitting it to go further to grant us some time in which we can make known to him the state of the affairs of the said queen of scotland in order that before your majesty takes a final resolution you may know that it may please his very christian majesty to tell you and point out to you on the greatest affair which in our memory has been submitted to men's judgment monsieur de saint cyr who will give these presents to your majesty will bring us if it pleases you your good reply london this sixteenth day of december fifteen eighty six signed de Bilievre and de l'aubespine chateauneuf the same day monsieur de saint cyr and the other french lords returned to richmond to take this letter but the queen would not receive them alleging indisposition so that they were obliged to leave the letter with walsingham her first secretary of state who promised them to send the queen's answer the following day end of part two of chapter eight